Hello and welcome to the Development Dilemma podcast, a place for the conversations we've been avoiding between expats and locals in the development space. We're here from both sides of the table to tackle development dilemmas and chart how we can do it better. Join me as we start the conversation. Before I get started, I'm happy to share that this podcast is now bigger than me. You'll have noticed the social media presence has significantly improved recently, and this is thanks to Anna Ducros, who has joined the podcast. Watch out for more on our Twitter and Instagram. And I'd also like to thank Anya Kapoor for her help in setting all of this up. In this episode, I wanted to bring in a perspective from the private sector, because the challenge of running multicultural teams of both foreign and national staff members is not limited to the development sector. As a result, I speak with Shaquille Hassan Ali, who is the managing director of J.W. Segan, an international insurance broker with offices in Kenya. Together, we explore the mistrust and bias he faced when he arrived, and how collectively, with the team, they managed to build a shared organizational culture and put in structures which recognize the systems at play rather than ignore them, but to ultimately let the individual flourish despite that. And I think from this conversation, there's plenty for organizations in the public sector to learn, and I certainly took away a lot to consider. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks, Jack. Great to have you join the podcast. Thanks a lot for making the time. Thanks for having me. It'd be great to touch upon with quite a direct question of how do you Mm. position yourself? To be fair, it's not one that I actively thought about pigeonholing myself. My perception or my thinking is I'm a business professional who has got experience in business leadership. And I've never really uh, sort of looked at it from a perspective of where I'm coming from or who I am or let's even say, the, you know, the color of my skin. It's always just been, what can I bring to the table as an individual? I guess there's also the reality of how others will perceive you and your own perceptions as well. Absolutely. And it, it might seem a bit naive to maybe some people listening in and say, actually, you know, it's not, you're not stemmed in reality. But it's it's actually saying, no, it's it's very real and it's addressing those realities, but finding a way to blast through those to get the best out of individuals. And that's the key thing is treat, take it as a stance that we are all individuals. So going back to the first question, expat or Kenyan, I'd say, I'm an individual with my own skill sets, with my own ideas, where I think I can make a positive impact. And that's what I'd like to do. And likewise, you know, getting to understand each of your staff members as individuals, humanize their experiences, humanize their journey, and then create that company umbrella structure that supports that whole drive. And today, current work you do now, you work for an international insurance broker. Yeah, so we're an international broker based in Kenya. We've got offices in the UK, in Mauritius, in Tanzania. The team's roughly, when I joined five years ago, uh, we were probably around 40. We're probably over 55 now. And my role um, coming into the organization was as general manager, which has now sort of taken on many different hats. And mm-hmm. the team, when you say it's 50-55, what is the composition of that team? Sure. So we've got, we do have a mix of expatriates, I guess, and those that are local nationals. So I think the split between expats to local would probably be around uh, 2080. A few different geographies, a few different cultural uh, pieces to be mindful of. But predominantly, we are Kenyan-based and Kenyan-focused and Kenyan-heavy in terms of resource. Then, uh, I guess, as you said, coming into the space, so you'd grown up in Kenya, but then you'd gone to the UK for studies. When you came back and and started work here, Mm -hmm. what... Was your impression? So in the context of my current role, when I first joined the business, I inherited a team that had, in an interesting way, found strategic ways to build relationships with the person that left outside of the norms of productivity and work-related 
you know, boundaries. So when a lot of people within the team were sort of treading a little bit out of depth because they didn't realize or they didn't understand what does this person operate. When I first joined, the first thing I did was sit down with every single member of the team. Whether I was green in my thinking, I really just wanted to get an understanding of who they are, how long they've been in the business, you know, what motivates them, what are some of their personal goals, what are sort of the the frameworks that sort of define their lives, what are their priorities, all of that kind of stuff. And what was what was interesting is I realized on the positive side that there was a lot of loyalty to the business. There was already a culture within the organization of, you know, really taking care of your staff. It was a family-run business and has been and will always be. And, you know, people felt that when in need, you know, the management, whether it's, you know, the managing director who's a white Kenyan, who's been in Kenya for many, many years, or indeed some of the expatriate members of the board, you know, really took care of the staff. So that sort of permeated quite, quite strongly. On the flip side, when I did ask for the conversations, there was a lot of, why is he doing this? What does he want? Are we going to be, you know, our jobs on the, on the line? So there's a lot of skepticism straight away that came through. And what I found was when asking them more questions, I realized that there was an attitude of, yes, we've been here, done that. We're only give you, going to give you surface level answers that you want to hear rather than you need to hear. Uh, so the skepticism was there. The lack of trust as to what I was doing was there. It was very, uh, very clear. And also there was a, a narrative permeating around, even if we say anything, nothing's going to change because historically our voices have not been heard within the business. Ultimately, it will be what the management decide. So those were quite powerful sort of messages that came out when I was doing the initial one-to-ones with them. And so you'd come into a system and a team which seemingly had quite a strong resistance and reluctance to opening themselves up to being vulnerable. And why do you think that is? Yeah, I, ju- I just think it came through from a consistent view where maybe the guys had raised issues or challenges that they may have been faced. And historically, they may have just been told, no, it's their fault or no, you need to do things better but not taking ownership that actually maybe structurally there could be some challenges to the way the teams are structured that allows them not to operate optimally. And there was this feeling that, you know, when good things happen, nothing gets shouted about, but when bad things happen, we get hit over the head with it. And therefore it seems quite demotivating. So no matter how much we talk, nothing has ever changed. No one listens to us. There's no channels for communication. And there was an us and them sort of narrative that was really clear. And um, and us and them falling on the lines of, Purely seniority or also... Yeah, seniority in terms of management of the organization. And by default, some of the management of the organization was, you know, not local national. So. But also, you know, we did have a lot of, a few senior managers who were local nationals. And again, I'll talk to you about some of those interesting relationships there. But there was already sort of a Kenyan to Kenyan bias in terms of the mid-level management, which was quite a surprise to me, which needed to be navigated as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's fascinating that you clearly came into an environment which, as you sensed it, there was a fair amount of resistance to your new ideas, your thoughts. Mm-hmm. How did you take that on board? Sure. So I think at this point, as I said, I hadn't really shared any ideas. It was really just information gathering. And as I said, it was quite interesting for me to, to see those at play and very clear within the organization. But my, my philosophy, as in any roles that I've played, has always been around what is the bigger picture that everyone is shooting for? We're all individual human beings. We all have our own aspirations, whether you're a local national, whether you're an expat, you, you have your needs, you have your goals. You have you know the goals that you want to achieve in your personal life, which work becomes an enabler for. So at the end of the day, when you strip everything down, we're all individual human beings with our own ambitions. But what was, what was clear is that we didn't necessarily have a, a culture or a definition of our culture 
that was clear and transparent. So whilst there's a lot of positive stuff that was happening, nothing had been um, specifically articulated. So in terms of driving an organization forward, you know, you'd question as to where we were going without sort of having a very clear communication plan. So the first thing that I did look to do was really try and understand and articulate, you know, what is the mission of the company? What is the purpose of the company? What are our core values? And what are sort of the behaviors that we want to see within the organization, regardless of your role, your seniority, where you've come from, your levels of experience, everyone should be sort of rowing at the same rhythm within within the boat to get to the finish line. So it was quite an interesting exercise to sort of uncover those. And we used a very bottom-up approach to include a lot of people within the discussions within the organization, mixed up teams, whether it's different levels of seniority, whether you're an expat, whether your local national has been to the organization many, many years, or whether you're fresh into the organization. It's mixed it all up. And we were able to crystallize very clearly things that were actually working within the organization that people recognized wasn't alien to them. We weren't coming up with new things, but actually just articulating what was already happening within the business. So that was quite an important first step um, to creating uh, a company culture that is able to permeate across all the different challenges um, that we had seen. So I, I understand, I guess, in international development, there is a predefined sort of missions and purposes and core values. But one of the things that I realized is actually it's nice to have those things on paper, but what does it actually mean in reality on the day-to-day on the ground for your staff and how do you make it live and breathe? So once we've sort of identified those, the next step is, okay, how does this become part of our ongoing communication, ongoing culture. So one of the key things we did straight away is looked at how people were being appraised. Because one of the things that came through from the one-to-ones is there was a lot of subjectivity in how line managers were, you know, rating, I'd say, you know, the performance of their individual uh, direct reports. There was a lot of bias in there in terms of whether I liked you or I didn't. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, there was bias in terms of, you know, if you were from a particular tribe of a Kenyan community and your line manager was of a different one, there's already this preconceived ideas of how you operate, which were permeating again through into reviews. So what we, we did straight away is created a very objective uh, appraisal system that focused on individuals demonstrating examples of core values during their performance years and allowing sort of a feedback loop from peers as well to say if x say let's just use john is being reviewed john requests feedback from six peers that he's worked with along the along the year and they would pick out core values that are important to the organization that john is demonstrating and showing concrete examples as to why so that was one way that we quickly ingrained sort of the cultural piece into the day-to-day so to enact to enact you know the behaviors that we want I think we, we also then looked at setting up award structures that demonstrated that the business organization uh, really values people demonstrating the certain values. So again, it became something that became ingrained as part of our you know, uh, reward recognition cycle. So there's many different examples of how we took that away and made it real. So it's not just about having it nice on paper and then just leaving it there, but it's how do you actually make it live and breathe, which was quite a key learning for me. And what is powerful, I think, from your example and and a takeaway from from myself even is the way in which you came in certainly with with an entity that already has a background, has a long history, Mm -hmm. but trying to build up your own set of values, your own set of structures, but as a team collectively and then build from there. So really uh, collaborating to make it a shared mission, shared goals. Mm -hmm. I think think it's easy, and this is particularly more on the development side, Mm -hmm. 
but to assume that people who have joined certain organizations already buy into the mission of the institution and their values. Everyone has very individual reasons for why they join. Mm -hmm. And there are different contexts between one joins for very different reasons. And mm -hmm. I think going back to the episode with Marion, where we were speaking about the different ways in which consultants or expats were judged compared to Kenyans, there's an element which is that as expats, because we are assumed to be, from the expat perspective, assumed to be here for altruistic reasons, mm -hmm. and the same is not necessarily applied for the Kenyans, then we are judged differently on that basis. Mm -hmm. And I think the relevance of that is that you need to really build a common foundation first uh, before you yeah, start differentiating. Correct. And you're right. Even when we wrote that up, it was completely naive to think that everyone will buy into it or everyone will read what we've put on and what does it actually mean for them. And that sort of process has been something that's come through over, over a few years of iteration where, you know, people <clears throat> from one cycle to the next are beginning to sort of buy into it because of the consistency that comes through in terms of, you know, it comes up in every single part of your day-to-day -day operations. I guess what, one of the other things um, that came through was around communication. So again, it was quite naive initially for me to think that, you know, what we say at a at a general management level or a management level and deploy, say, this culture deck to the organization will kind of make everything hunky-dory and better. And was that naive in all cases or you had, was that a style of communication you had seen work elsewhere? Definitely. It's a style that we'd seen work elsewhere that, that people would generally buy into. But what I realized is in, in Kenya, definitely, and this is where the cultural nuances need to be considered whilst you're still maintaining, uh, you know, a common playing field, there needs to be that, that cultural awareness. So how do you get your agenda across quickly? So it's not by saying there is a difference between us and them. It's saying, you know, how do I get this across the line in the best way possible? And, you know, what was clear is because of the lack of trust and skepticism that was there, we straight away created a staff welfare committee, which was run by senior people or, or people nominated by people in the organization. They were in charge of driving the agenda, driving the topics, driving the concerns, and they became almost a bridge between local nationals or the nine reports and sort of the management team and the, and the board. We also gave them the opportunity to run their own town halls, drive their own agenda, you know, talk about things that were a concern to them, where management would listen. So we also made sure that there were clear structures in place um, to allow, you know, that communication to happen. And again, granted, it's taken a bit of time for people to understand that actually there's nothing there to catch them out on, but it is a structure for them to have that communication and drive the business forward. Those sort of things became quite, quite real. And I think, as you say, I think it's, it's this tricky balance between looking at the individual, recognizing the individual and their talents and, and their weaknesses, mm -hmm. but then also not forgetting that we exist as groups, as communities, as cultures. And that's in many different axes, mm -hmm. so it's complex. But I think when you mention this notion of you still have to recognize the cultural nuances mm -hmm. to being able to just communicate your message well. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of those nuances that you as someone who's grown up in Kenya but also you know worked externally, what are some of those nuances you see that sometimes are missed or are not as easy to catch initially? For me... You know, as a Kenyan, I hadn't worked in Kenya professionally, so I'd worked in, in, in the UK before. So I was obviously been groomed with a mindset of, you know, flat hierarchy, open communication, you know, get the issues resolved as quickly as possible and move on with life um, for the better of the business. Some of the things that, you know, 
uh, I still see become you know ongoing challenges is if there is an issue, people will feel like they're going to get ostracized, so they don't raise it straight away. So it doesn't get resolved straight away; it sort of comes out of the woodworks. Whereas actually, if you just raise it as a as an issue, then the team can help and resolve it. There's this fear that still permeates, I think, about what does this mean for my job if I flag that I've you know made a boo boo. Also, that then becomes manifests itself in terms of I just won't communicate as openly as I want. And there's also this mentality in more initially that I found where, you know, there's a herd mentality where, you know, if someone had a concern and it was genuinely affecting their role, their deliverable, their personal life, they wouldn't necessarily stick their neck out um, and raise it. So for me, that was quite an eye opener initially. And I think with new individuals coming into the organization who are local Kenyans, we do see that mentality permeate. So we have to break through that very, very, very quickly and reinforce the company way of doing things the company culture and how we operate and we have to break those those barriers very very quickly so we we constantly see those barriers coming up as new recruits come in and how do you, how does one go about that so i think it's being clear about it's being clear about the roles the deliverables it's also being clear about the competencies that we want to see within within each of the roles so what we've done is any new person coming in we've functionally mapped out this is what the role needs to deliver these are the behaviors from our culture that we want to, the role should be able to demonstrate. And it, our, our core behaviors are quite granular. So for example, we'll talk about things around being able to focus on results, not the process, or, you know, challenging prevailing assumptions. And then based off that, we've also mapped out competency levels that we see people need to be performing against to, to meet a high performing person within that role. And it's a sort of a gradual scale. We've removed all the subjective bias to it, and we kept it very objective in terms of this is what we would expect. We've also created brand ambassadors of the culture within the organization. So they would have, you know, good week-long training sessions with them to talk through, you know, their understanding of how the company culture for them has evolved. And we give them time to also read through the documentation and have a very open and candid conversation about what this actually means to them. How are they internalized it and how do they see themselves performing? So we're really giving them the accountability, the empowerment back to say it's not what management or the company is telling you what does this actually mean for you and if you're able to deliver against these you know we've got many many examples where a lot of our star performers today are local nationals and they're doing amazing jobs and without them the company wouldn't be where it is today it takes a bit of time and it takes hard graft and consistency both from hr level from you know peers within the organization from management to make sure that they fully understand that the mindset that they may have come in at does not exist in this organization. It's a very different mindset, and it's all about you and how you're able to deliver the best of you. I think it's really fascinating. Everyone comes in with a bundle of baggage that we all do, but there's a way in which you can make the company culture the dominant culture of that person, at least when they're at work. Mm -hmm. And that can override the other cultures that we have in our other uh, facets of our life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fascinating way to, to shift it. And, and then it's not so much about necessarily, you know, changing that culture. Mm -hmm. It's so much as just in your space, you operate in this kind of culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that transparency, as you mentioned, echoes quite clearly in terms of trying to set a set of deliverables, of guidelines, of KPIs, to enable an, an individual to then feel, hopefully over time, that trust, that consistency Correct. does deliver. Correct. And you mentioned a little bit of time. I'm curious, how much is a little bit? 
five years in, we're still working on it. (laughs) And I don't think that we're going to stop working on it. We've seen things that work. We've seen some of the things that that don't work. So, for example, some of the things that haven't worked um, as well is the amount of time. And I think this might also cover itself quite nicely in some of the maybe the challenges that have come through in the development sector is the focus on training and development and the transfer or the building up of the skills is sometimes from the day-to-day operational perspective we're not being able to devote the right amount of time so from recent conversations we've had with members of our team you know we we do regular surveys etc we've anonymized them so we're able to get candid feedback um Training and development and knowledge transfer and leadership and communication have still come through as key things that we still need to work on. So, you know, one of the things that interestingly comes to the top of the table when it comes to developing or sort of supporting people through an organizational's um, journey is how are they gaining from it? professionally and personally so yes reward and recognition is always there of course you know people want to get paid better of course but as an organization how do we make sure that we're able to get the best out of people so they can demonstrate their value to the organization which then manifests into the reward and recognition right so that's something that we initially had to sort of grapple with because straight away we were getting conversations around i'm not paid enough so why should i put in the effort you don't pay me that well. I come in here, do a nine-to-five job, I move on with life. So there was a limiting set of beliefs straight away that you could see within the organization. So when we did reviews with them, we asked them for their short-term, medium-term, long-term career aspirations. And what was coming through was just, I want to be better at my job. I want to maybe learn X amount of skill. But there was no real meat on the bones behind where does this person actually want to go with their career? And, and, how- and instead it was focused on just basic fun you know rudimentary stuff which which sort of shows that they either hadn't thought about it it's the first time they've been asked that question or they really didn't believe that even if they said anything it's going to go anywhere so they may have had other ambitions because we know a lot of people were studying mbas some were doing their insurance qualifications etc but it never really permeated into an actual tangible conversation around careers so there was we found that there was limiting beliefs in terms of what people thought they could achieve sort of within the organization so pulling all of that together it became quite clear that not only do we need to break those limiting beliefs. We need to put a structure together that allows people, to, uh, the business to invest in learning and development, which allows them to see, develop, demonstrate their value, which allows them to grow financially. And we had to make sure that that's very clear because the opposite was being thought of. Like, you need to dem- give me the va- show me the value now and pay me and I'll work better. <laughs> okay, so it's a real flip of the, yeah. of the mentality. And how yeah. did that, again, coming back to... I guess time. This is a work of an organization forever. Yeah. However, what is the minimum amount of time one needs to reinvest and commit to such a, a practice before one begins to see change in your experience? I'd say two to three years at least. Okay. Yeah, two to three years. It's quite long. Yeah. Because it's change management and it depends. It depends on where the starting point is with the organization. So, as I said, you know, we were lucky that we had long, long standing members of staff. We had some of them, I'm surprised, have been working for 20, 20, 25 years already in the business. There was good loyalty to the business and, you know, generally very hardworking people. Like they will put in the hours. So, it's how do we help them work smarter and better and leverage some of that? So, you know, if you have that fundamental base in there, I'd say still two to three years. If you if you don't and you're starting from a complete point of chaos, 
then I'd say, you know, you've got your work cut out and it could be five years before you, you get it to a place where you absolutely need it to. Because you're dealing with people, you're dealing with ingrained biases and ways of thinking and you need to break that. And in order to break that, to show them that the business really cares, it will deliver on what it promises, you will grow within the organization. You know, it requires two to three years at least to just begin to see that that's real. And then beyond that, for them to really harness that and go for it, I'd say, yeah, you're looking at a good five years. Okay, I think I think that's it's important to recognize that that is the kind of commitment that's required, and, and that means that when one is hoping to work in the space in whatever form, mm-hmm. then if we're committing to real, genuine change, and as you say, you know, behavioral change as well within mm-hmm. the organization, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to commit patience and time for that. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that also comes out, as you say, is you want to be in an environment where People feel like regardless of who they are, what they look like, etc., they have these opportunities. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, one wants to be blind to these differences and not make them differences. At the same time, for that to be the case, you have to have a structure in which you recognize that perceptions do matter. And what I mean by that is if you do have an expat heavy top of an organization sure. or the promotions or certain posts tend to go to expats, that will give an image and a, it doesn't create the social proof mm-hmm. of the Kenyan international talent mm-hmm. that will encourage your staff. And that's the dynamic that also needs to be recognized. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I, I think to your point, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the sentence comes across quite a lot in the market. You know, there's not in great talent that we can locate in Kenya. I, I fully, fully disagree. I think there is great talent. It just needs to be nurtured, right? And... Also, there's no bad people within an organization. It's bad structures. So you know, as an organization, you need to look at, are we structurally optimized? Are we allowing these people to play to their strengths, not their weaknesses, to deliver? Because that's something I, I quickly picked up when I was at in, in my first role at a big multinational company in the UK, was this HR philosophy around focusing on someone's strengths because you can, everyone has weaknesses. As a manager, as a business, are you going to focus your time and energy to get a weakness from a certain level to a sort of a mediocre level? Or will you actually focus on developing someone's strengths from where it could be quite a a relatively strong strength to really a very powerful strength? And that sort of mindset of, yeah, unless that weakness was a fundamental issue in delivering on that role, then of course you look at it. But if someone's not good at something, that doesn't really matter to that role. But they've got three other demonstrable strengths. Focus. Let's focus on building those. So when, when people say, actually, you know, sometimes it's hard to find the good talent in Kenya. I said, well, actually, you've got good people. You've got driven people. You've got hardworking people. Regardless of even whether you are like me, someone who studied abroad and come back into Kenya, or you've got someone who's just come out of university, or you've got someone who's got 10 years worth of work experience elsewhere, it doesn't matter. They're hardworking, good, engaged people. But as an organization, your responsibility is to create the right structure, focus on the areas that will help them grow and professionally themselves and provide the right learning sort of culture as well because learning never stops you can't expect someone to come in who has got all the skill sets that you need business world is changing the needs are changing and so regardless of the the biases or the differences between people i think the focus of the organization should really be around creating that enabling environment and I think that's where we've seen, you know, I think positive successes come through. And it's still a journey and we're still identifying what more we can do. But it's all geared towards unlocking that individual's potential. 
I really like the emphasis on looking at it from a structural angle and shifting the blame. Blame is a bit strong, but nonetheless, the blame for why organizations are unable to identify. I think the key skills, yeah, it's, it's about identifying and creating that enabling environment for it to flourish. Mm-hmm. By contrast, we've touched more a little bit, let's say, on the challenges one faces when working into the, and the cultural nuances mm-hmm. that one has here. It'd be interesting to take the flip side. What are some of the aspects of the approach and the mentality with which people come into these businesses mm-hmm. that you have found particularly strong? So, as I said, I think some of the positives that I've noted have been around, as opposed to the West, there's a very strong loyalty that's been built. And it goes back to the whole flip side of the trust. It takes time to build that trust. But once you've got that, and within an organization, you've got long-standing employees who've been there 10, 12, 20 years even, those guys are not going anywhere. They are loyalists to the brand. You know, They are ambassadors to the brand. A lot of them will be happy to sort of be working there for, for some of the rest of their lives. So you don't have that churn of, of people coming through. So hard work, you never have to question whether they are putting in the effort, I'd say. I think some of them put in a lot of effort that's normally unsung, not seen. And particularly within insurance and where we, we operate because we have to operate on a 24-7 level because as a broker, we don't just sell insurance. We are there to support the client. If they have a claim, if they have an uh, emergency, we're there. So, and these are some of like, you know, the unsung heroes of the business. So, and they relentlessly focus on the customer. And these are things that we shouldn't sort of skate on the ground because of lack of a certain way of doing things that we expect because actually you're missing a key point here to build off. Where are you going to get an expat that is going to be that hardworking, that engaged, that loyal to the brand in at a consistent level? I'm not saying that they're not there, but at a sure. consistent level. And I think that's where I found you know a lot of the positives that we've been able to build off. And that culture of continuously being able to learn, you know, innovate. I'll be su- you'd be surprised that there's a lot of innovation and innovative thinking coming through that wasn't necessarily being harnessed or or being recognized. And that's something we've tried to do within the core values and highlight that as a as an award or a structure that we you know we celebrate. Okay, that's, that's very helpful to share. And I think it also I like the shift of focusing on strengths mm-hmm. and coming to any team and saying, okay, well. What are the strengths here and how do I focus on enabling those? As opposed to, I want to get certain things done. These are the weaknesses in those things. Mm -hmm. How do I mitigate or how difficult it is to overcome them? Because I think, and again, this is generalizing, but the complaints that are often had with expats with regards to Kenyans is on those fronts of those weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder how much they're instead focusing on, okay, where are the strengths and how can I best, you know, work with them and develop those to Mm -hmm. our benefit as Mm -hmm. a team? Mm -hmm. And, and help the team's focus and, and get granular with it because what you might say communication is something everyone needs to focus on and Kenyans are not great at communicating. But actually, what is it about the communication? Where is it? Where are they falling through? Is it relevant to a certain type of role? Is it across the board? Whether it's written, you know, non-written, verbal, whatever that is, you know, get granular because what will come through is you, it's, and I've realized that it's not consistent across the board. The perception's consistent, that it's consistent, but it's not really. So I think now we've covered quite nicely how you kind of came into this space, your new role, mm-hmm. and the, I think, really interesting approach that you took with regards to building a shared culture, creating that transparency, consistency, and then over time, 
through a long commitment delivering on that and having the local nationals within the space developing, demonstrating, and then uh, flourishing as well. Mm-hmm. What it would also be great to touch on is then, you know, along that journey, what are some of the specific kind of highs and lows that you can highlight? So I think one of the, the highs I would say, and this is again based on sort of the time and consistency piece, is a lot of people initially that were skeptical and like we've been here before, we've worked here many, many years, things necessarily won't change, are the ones who have now become proponents of the change, right? Right from key functions like HR through to senior people within the sales team through to through to sort of, you know, the newbies coming in as well. As I said, we created sort of this amb- ambassadorial culture, harnessing those that were the most resistant to change and utilizing them to sort of drive that change. I think it speaks to your approach that one of the key metrics with which you're you're considering the success is not purely on just financial metrics, but is on how do people within our organization feel about the work we do, about who we are, about our values. And that notion of brand ambassador is something which both means from an outside perspective, Mm -hmm. it will change the way you are seen and how people come to you and who comes to you, but it also will affect your work. And I think that is something which perhaps is overlooked in terms of how critical that is to the contribution of an organization. Mm-hmm. That, you know, more outputs focus as opposed to what is the process along which people are getting to those outputs and mm-hmm. are they engaged and are they, you know, satisfied along that chain. So mm-hmm. I think that comes out quite strongly. And, mm-hmm. I think, uh, and it's curious when you speak about brand ambassadors because we normally tend to think of them as outward facing. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me for you that these are also playing a shared role in terms of inward brand ambassadors? Actually, the majority of us were inward because, as I said, outwardly, we had no concerns. Everyone was doing what they needed to do. I felt it's just, it was actually more internal work that we needed to do and and less so of an external piece, which is quite, which is interesting in its own way because you would expect that that should be sort of be a dual factor and sort of permeate onto both sides. But to the customer, they were very clear. Internally, they were happy to create chaos and and resistance. But the the only the only bridging I found was the fact that it was literally about why are we doing this and what are we trying to achieve. So, communication, consistency of that communication, holding very true to what you say. The organization will deliver for you, but you need to do the same. So yeah, I think there's a lot of internal focus that we need to put into that brand ambassadorial sort of structure. Yeah, fascinating. I think it's something which we can all learn from in terms of whatever the space, be it be it NGOs, be it private focus, mm-hmm. that mission, those values are something that are not just outwardly and not just in the work you do with your customers mm-hmm. or the people you're trying to serve, mm-hmm. but instead is something that you need to very strongly live by. And I yeah. think I think particularly if you're an employee seeing a mismatch between those and the way you're handled mm-hmm. and you're communicated within your organization treated mm-hmm. as compared to what the values are of the organization outwardly mm-hmm. would be quite jarring and I think that's where as you say you need to have that very strongly cohesive as well yeah yeah because how can you sell it externally when you don't buy into it internally you know we have to make sure everyone does buy into it and feel it because it's it's their company it's their culture it's their part of growing that culture and uh, yeah, they need to feel proud of that and, and feel engaged. So it's, it's really giving them back a lot of power and taking that away from management, which is what seems to be working. 
fantastic. So in terms of you asked about sort of the lows and some of the challenges we've, we've seen, I think one of the th- th- areas that I guess we continuously need to improve on is around communication within the organization. And that's across the board from if you do something positive, how do we communicate um, that message to you that you feel engaged and energized and recognized through to if something happens that is a business issue that we need to resolve, how quickly are we communicating to resolve it? How do we resolve it such that you don't feel like you're being hit over the head with it, but you're learning from that mistake? One of that imbalance has been around, as I said, communication and how that, and from communication from a managerial perspective, expert level, and how that makes you know some of the local nationals feel. It it permeates in terms of not having a share of voice or not being able to not being listened to at certain points in time, particularly when you know people might say, "Oh, we're feeling a bit stretched." The mentality from management or the expats might be, you know what, we just get stuck in, we roll up our sleeves and get shit done. They might be saying, we are doing that, but you're not seeing how overloaded we are. Those have, those have sort of come through as, as recent challenges, even as of maybe even last week, where we need to fundamentally look at the structure and how those communication channels are happening. The second one is is really around, and this is quite important, I think it's important particularly from a development perspective where you're talking about knowledge transfers there hasn't been particularly when you're looking at a technical industry like insurance when you're in certain situations you need to know how to navigate between the insurer the the customer the the policy details etc to sort of get the right resolution on say a claim and there's not been i guess enough time devoted to helping the teams formally develop sort of that critical thinking that understanding that needs to happen for them to then take on some of those roles that they knew. So what tends to happen is sometimes as expats, you might feel, oh, we need to step in every single point. These guys can't do it. Or um, they're just not pushy enough or aggressive enough with, say, the insurers to get you know the right response for the customers. But actually, it does require a little bit of training, a little bit of knowledge transfer, a little bit of understanding and, and time to be able to get these guys to develop and share that. And once you're able to do that, then we've also found that actually that's that's a really powerful way for us to make sure that these guys feel empowered and engaged to, to, to deliver. So I guess in summary, you know, you're talking about communication and being able to just really listen to each other. Training and development has come through as quite a important part for us to focus on. But I think the key thing here is we're not saying, actually, it's the local nationals' fault. We've taken it away and say, what else can we do now to help improve this? And so we're looking at what are the structural things we need to change first to be able to make a difference to the teams here because we want to make their lives easier. We're looking at training development. We're looking at a communication. We want them to perform. We want them to serve our customers better because my mindset is, as I said, there's no bad people. There's bad structures. It makes me wonder about there seems to be, this is slightly thinking on the fly, but there seems to be a divide in the ways in which an organization in the UK, you haven't worked at one and, and myself, mm. how they might conceive if, hey, we're failing to deliver on our targets, rarely would it be, oh, yes, it's because our staff aren't good enough. Mm. <laughs> that would be one of failing of your own recruitment, and it just is not how things are addressed. There's mm-hmm. something structurally wrong about mm-hmm. how we're doing things, we need to strategize, etc. Yeah. And my sense is that in this context, with international organizations, be it business like private ones or more public, mm-hmm. 
there is an element where that becomes the deep, like the easy answer out. Yep. Oh, there just isn't the skill here. We can't find the talent. There's not great talent. Those kind of things become a very easy excuse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And even within our organization, you know, there have been expatriates who've said, "Oh, in the UK, we've always done it this way," or "In the UK," and there's always that comparative analysis, which sometimes isn't great because it's it's constantly hammering, "We're better," or "I have a better way of doing things." And it's not about that. It's about what is the bigger picture? The better way is serving the customer better. Not that you have a better way. How do we get this serve the customer better in our context? And what do we need to do to get there? And how do we work collectively to identify what that is and fix it? Right? We realize that actually, in certain instances, from feedback we received from direct reports about their line managers, the fact that <clears throat> their limiting beliefs were set by conversations that they had with their line managers around preconceived biases that they had of a certain type of person from a certain community and how they would operate. So what would that look like? So that would look like, well, I would say, for example, I'm not going to name tribes, but if you were from a certain tribe, the bias would be that you would be looking for creative ways to find shortcuts to do what you need to do, right? And sometimes I have seen in different organizations of mine, where straight away people are discredited from a particular job because of their local tribe here in Kenya. And that, and that for me is, is shocking because on paper, that person had all the skill sets that you would need for that role. And do I find, and do I find that bias sort of real within my organization in terms of does it manifest itself to the, to the preconceived biases? No, because the star performers are across the board, are from different cultures, from different experiences, from different tribes in Kenya. And actually none of them are from the preconceived tribe where we think actually they do better. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So it was very clear that that's just rubbish, what's happening within the, the local cultural biases. We need to break that. We need to make sure that it's about the individual and just reinforce to me that it is the individual that we need to focus on. Well, look, thanks, thanks so much, Akhil, for making the time. While I really wanted to get your perspective, despite the fact that you come from, you know, like, not international development focus, I think the, the thought and the approach that you've applied in your organization and team have applied to building that environment, to the growth mindset, to the company culture, to brand ambassadors, mm -hmm. is one which transcends sectors. So it's really great to, to hear those specifics that you've shared. And yeah, really appreciate that. No, thanks for thanks for having me and allowing me to sort of share those experiences. And, you know, often we do, we get stuck in sort of our preconceived notions of how we dress and what we come from and who we speak to and how we speak and, and all of that doesn't make sense for me in business. It's about you as a human being and what you bring to the table. And yeah, so hopefully if anyone wants to get in touch with me at any point, if they've had similar challenges or having similar challenges, I'm more than happy to talk to, because I think it's a really great conversation that you've started. I think it needs to be had. And I think we need to find a way of making it better.
Thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love to hear, was there anything that Shaquille mentioned you wish your organization did better? Are there aspects you could incorporate? In your opinion, what else can we learn from the private sector? You can reach out and share your thoughts on us on social media, and some of those will reshare to the wider audience. All links can be found in the description. Lastly, make sure to share and subscribe to continue the conversation.